Welcome to Dial It Up. I'm Mike Nada. And I'm Randy Redekoff. The series of podcasts contains a, a number of conversations we've had with educators about the role of digital technology in the classroom. All right. So today we have Matt Henderson, uh, Assistant Superintendent of Seven Oaks School Division in Winnipeg with us. And we're going to be talking about... Uh, COVID response. We're going to be talking about programming they're doing um, with IT, and uh, and we don't really know where we might go from there. So we'll just start, and uh, and here we go. Great to have you with us, Matt. Appreciate you taking the time. Of course, no, it's great to be here. And uh, let let's start with, I mean, the elephant in the room is always the COVID response, and and in particular, how are you dealing it? with it for kids who just don't have access or enough access? Yeah, I, well, I think, I think COVID presents a whole bunch of problems, um, challenges, I would say, and opportunities um, as educators to kind of think about teaching and learning and, and equating those two things. So they, they often don't equate uh, with each other, but to really sort of, I think teachers have had to have their, their teaching in the spring, especially highly visible. Um, but also then to rethink, um, you know, for, for some of our teachers, particularly those, um, in senior years where the kids are in every second day, um, where they've had to really kind of rethink their, um, their design. Um, but then also even, even K to eight, where we're now, um, there may be children who are missing uh, for, for sometimes if they have to self-isolate or all of a sudden your class is out for 14 days and you, the teacher, are now having to do some remote. Um, so I think it's been really challenging in a variety of ways. Um, and so what we're trying to do in Seven Oaks is really work with teachers to uh, get them together because they're the experts um, to, and to really talk about you know, how, do, how do they manage their energy as teachers so they're not, they're not burning out but then also how best to support learners um, when things are changing all the time. You know, it, when the government is telling us, and rightly so, um, that, and sorry, my phone is ringing here, um, but this, this, this is an authentic podcast, um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, we're going, we're going from yellow to orange and Winnipeg's in red, and, 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 and teachers are constantly having to make sort of micro moves um, to their practice that um, we're really trying to, to have conversations in the division about, about sort of, you know, the laws of thermodynamics, which is you only have so much energy. Um, so, so that's, that's been one interesting part of it. You know, in the, in the senior years, we've been talking a lot about sort of hybrid learning, high flex learning, um, about, you know, what are those things, you know, three audiences. So you have some students who are face-to-face, you have some that are synchronous, and then you have asynchronous work. And instead of trying to teach um, a whole bunch of lessons um, or experiences to the same, to different audiences all the time, how can we be more efficient with our time where we're getting students to, to, to connect? Things are still based on relationship. Things are still based on uh, challenge and rigor. Um, but now we're asking students to, to, to kind of uh, take control of their own learning a little bit in some of that asynchronous work and collaborate with each other so that when we're coming together, 
um, as, as, as learning communities, it's really sort of those higher order thinking and deeper learning processes um, that, we're, that we're engaging in. So that might be one-on-one -on -one with the teacher, one-on-five, that might be some coaching, that might be conferencing, whatever that might be um, is, is kind of what we're looking at. And I think as, you know, what we're trying to do in K-8 to as well is prepare, prepare teachers for that. And they're doing a phenomenal job. In the middle years, and, and in Seven Oaks, we are pure middle years. So we, we subscribe to a middle years philosophy. We don't subscribe to a junior high school where kids go from class to class to class, where they have one teacher. We, that's been really uh, beneficial. And uh, where, where uh, the cohort is your class. So, so that's been um, a powerful model. But where, where we've seen real success in the use of technology is where teachers have used an LMS like Google Classroom or the G Suite to, to really get kids um, looking at each other's writing, if it's writer's workshop, um, interrogating each other's uh, work. Uh, particularly in middle years, we're really pushing sort of transdisciplinary design and work where, where the, 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 the silos are obliterated and kids are working on all sorts of inquiry projects where they're pulling in from across the disciplines. Um, but that where students are, are, are able to communicate with each other during class, but outside of class, uh, and share their work in, in authentic uh, ways. So, so that's been exciting. I think where, where things can get really difficult, um, you know, in, in terms of technology is certainly access. You know, in Seven Oaks, we've provided all of our families who didn't have internet with internet access. Um, so we have, uh, we've partnered with MTS with that. For, for other families, you know, in the, lo in, the, in, in the lockdown in the spring, but even now, if, if students require um, a device, we've provided that device for them in, in the form of a Chromebook. Because we know that some families may have one or two computers, but um, there may be five people competing for that. Right. Um, and so we've, we've done that. But we also realize how important face-to-face -face is for a lot of uh, families and learners where they just... Um, that in-person education, we all know, is just is just so much more powerful than being away, and uh, and so that's that's something that that I think all school divisions are facing, all teachers are facing, and all families are facing is um, how can we ensure that 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 we're still connected to school as much as possible through all this. So so far so good. I think schools have done an outstanding job in um, ensuring kids are safe, working collaboratively with public health. Uh, and, uh, and we've seen that spread in schools has been limited. So I'm hoping that we can still have uh, kids in our school. Um, but if that's the case, if, if we do have to go to a code red for periodic times, I think we're ready as a school division in that we've spent uh, a great deal of time thinking about those blocks, thinking about how do you design now, designing an experience and taking that experiential cycle that you would normally envision in, in a classroom K to 12 and then how do you now do um, uh, manifest that into manageable blocks so that you're not burning out as the teacher? Right. Well, one of my concerns <clears throat> is, um, you know, there's some success with online learning. And I'm a little concerned that our um, powers that be, and you might know more about this than, than we do because you're, you know, in the admin area, the powers that be might see that there could be some cost savings here by doing more online learning and having them ignore the fact that it's just not the same. 
Um, yeah. You know, is that actually a danger or uh, something well, we could be working on? I, th- I think, I mean, you surface something, you know, there are, I think in the world, there are neoliberal forces at work who are like, hey, wait a second, if we just had high school kids take online courses, that means we would have fewer teachers. Um, I think Ontario, the Ontario government got a bit of a pushback from that. And, and I think rightly so. Um, you know, we, I, but I don't, I don't feel that in, in, in our province or, or, or anything like that. Because um, I think everybody firmly knows that that uh, face-to-face um, relationship-based teaching and learning is 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 what's best for kids. Um, all the cognitive science suggests the most important factor in learning and the biggest, you know, the, the, what has the biggest effect size is the day-to-day interaction that a child has with the teacher and the the minute bit by minute feedback that that not only uh, learner receives from the teacher but that the, the feedback that the teacher reser- receives from the learner to be able to, to adjust teacher moves. And, and that, that, that focuses that, mainly on the academic side. Forget uh, it, sure. And, and, yeah. and I've taught online in, in when I was a senior years teacher and I teach online now at the university of Winnipeg and I'm not able to um, have the same kind of relationship unless we're breaking out and we're having one-on-one um, meetings and, um, you know, where that now that takes a whole bunch of more, more time and energy and, and it's, and you're not able to do that with, with all the students to the degree that you would in person and provide that formative feedback. Sure. There are fantastic examples of teachers who are doing backflips who can do that. Um, and when all the children have access to, um, you know, quality, uh, you know, high-speed internet and devices. Um, that's not the case in Seven Oaks necessarily, that everybody has that kind of access. Certainly not in Manitoba, and particularly as you get out of Winnipeg, um, that's not the case. So if we're talking about equity, if we're talking about uh, equitable educative experiences, um, and if we're talking about deeper learning, and we can unpack that if you have like two or three more podcasts to go, Phil, um, then then it has to be uh, face-to-face. Can some of that content delivery, even in a face-to-face environment, be online? Absolutely. I mean, Sal Khan just did a, uh, a podcast with the Harvard Ed, EdCast where he said there's a difference between online learning and remote learning, right? We all engage in, in non-COVID times in online learning where we ask our kids to do all sorts of things. And maybe there's discussion boards, maybe they're checking out videos, maybe we are putting some of the content that we want them to engage with uh, as part of that direct experience before we go through the experiential cycle. Um, but that's different than, than remote. So I don't feel the danger or, or any, any sense from, from anybody in the province to sort of suggest that, hey, this online stuff is really working well. Let's keep it up so that we can maybe move to, to a more robust system. I just don't see that. Yeah, I think the, the equity issue is a big one, especially as you say, I mean, it's, it's probably a problem in areas of Winnipeg, but when you get outside in Winnipeg and northern areas, it's certainly a big concern. Um, I was going to ask, are there some of the lessons that have been learned and things that have been done with the remote and distance online learning that have taken place that you hope will be carried over when we ever do return to normal? 
Yeah, I mean, wh- one of them is, uh, I would say, um, there, there's two models that I think have worked really, really well in our division, and there's many, and, there, and there's like, I, I'll just point to these, um, where we've seen that um, because of the design, the ability for, for that learning to, to, to sort of um, move online and then move back into like where, where there was sort of this fluidity there, um, it, it worked really, really well. So one of them was we, in Seven Oaks, we've set up something called the Tech Hub, which is a partnership with New, Man, New Media Manitoba. And uh, what happens is that we have two campuses now, but, but last year during the spring, um, we had uh, several students from all five of our senior year schools. They could sign up and they would go down to the exchange district to New Media Manitoba uh, every morning. And, not, you know, whether they were in grades nine, you know, grade nine to 12, uh, multi-grades, and they would engage with industry leaders, uh, mostly around game development, new media development, interactive digital media. And, and they would go with the teacher as well, who would work with the industry partner in, in design and assessment. And each kid would have their own, um, depending on what their passion was and depending on what, what role they, they uh, filled in a particular project team, um, that's how we would sort of um, create their learning plan. So, so one student might be achieving visual arts um, credit with a computer science credit with an ICT credit. Another student, given what they're doing, might be fulfilling part of their ELA credit and, and you know, a, a couple other credits. What we found was because we've, we've created sort of a mini, mini studio-based system, when kids go down to the tech hub, they're in a, we teach them how to be in a studio. What does it mean to be part of a team? And you can, you know, whether they're using agile sprints or whether they're using a Google design system um, and they were using discord as a means and, or in some of them were using Trello as a means of sort of their project-based management that when we did go remote, it was very seamless because they were this tight knit group of four people working on a project supported by a bunch of adults, some from industry, some for education, the, the, it just kept clicking. Um, and so that was one model where we said, Hey, there's something to this where, um, we can switch pretty, pretty quickly. And, and, and we've seen that this year with the, with the continuation of the tech hub. The other model that I would say from the senior year's perspective, that's worked really well is our, is our two big picture schools, our two met schools where, for for a decade now, they've been uh, using LM, you know, Google Classroom and the Google Suite as an LMS, where they've been engaged in project-based learning, where they've been using, we use HeadRush, which is a platform for managing pro- projects and, and, and assessment, um, that, uh, and students are out into the community in their internships anyway, that when we've had to go to sort of remote um, or quasi remote or hybrid or whatever that means that transition has been a lot more um, has been smoother um, because there 's a whole bunch of adults involved kids are already used to collaboration kids are used to um, some of those hybrid blocks that just naturally occur there, are, there it is supported through some some technology in terms of project based learning. There are norms set around like how do we do a project? what are the stages of a project? Um, when am I going to be getting feedback from my mentor, from my advisor, from my peers? Um, so some of those things are normalized over a four-year experience um, in, in that particular model. 
If I could just interrupt this quickly, sure. because you mentioned the Met School before we get on to another topic, is uh, one thing I was wondering is because you have the two Met Schools and still the only ones in Canada, I think, yeah. um, how does that being in code orange and red and so on work with the mentorship piece of that program? Yeah, that's been a bit more difficult. Um, we've sort of asked uh, mentors. Um, it depends on their sort of site. Uh, one, you know, one of the things that we've, in terms of internships with the with the Met schools and, and our other, uh, you know, programs that, that, that have co-ops and different things like that, is that we relied on universities and, and, and colleges as places where our students would intern. And those are shuttered. Uh, and so that's been a big loss. But where we've had to, and I'm going to use the word, where we've had to pivot, uh, cringe, um, <laughs> is where now students are seeking mentorship, not necessarily through, uh, like, I'm going to my internship, and these are the projects I'm doing at my internship at Health Sciences Center or whatever that might be. But now they're connecting with sort of soft mentors. The student will develop a project um, pulling, you know, outcomes from across the curriculum and a, a deep essential question um, and now they need some mentorship from experts in the field. So now that what mentorship looks like and an internship looks like might be a weekly um, con virtual conversation with an expert in the field, a chemist, a pipe fitter, uh, you know, an agronomist, whatever that might be, where they're, they're helping this student with, with this project. And, and some might be sort of more theoretical. Some of it might be technical. Some of it might be practical. So that's where things have had to shift a little bit in terms of uh, the internship part. But having said that, the, the focus is still on, um, you know, that whole test of is the student doing their work or are they doing our work? And if the student is doing their work and it's deep and it's rigorous and um, it matters to them, then and they're supported by a, a network of adults, then we win. Okay, good, thanks. Okay, so you've talked about the... Um part of the uh, tech initiative that you've got going on with the um, tech hub. You also have the Wayfinders program, which has a tech aspect to it. What's all yeah. involved with that one? Yeah. So w what we found with the, the tech hub and our partnership with new media um, is that it's fantastic. I mean, with the two big picture schools, what we found is that when kids um, intern and hang out in the exchange district, they find their people because there are, there are coders, coders, there are programmers, there are artists, there are weirdos, there are, there are um, hyper, hyper creative people who are uh, kind of pushing things and, and kids sort of gravitate to that. So we saw the fact that our Tech Hub kids are going down to the exchange and there are industry folks everywhere that they can connect with and mentors um, is, a re is a real plus. But you need a certain amount of, I would say, social capital Mm -hmm. um, to be able to say, hey, I'm going to get on a bus and go down to the exchange every single day uh, and engage. And, and that's not always the case for, for, for a lot of learners. And so what we said is we wanted to set up a, a sort of a, another Tech Hub um, campus in Seven Oaks where learners could come, earn credit, uh, and, and, and learn skills, and then maybe decide, hey, I'm really digging this. I want to go down to the exchange one as well. And so what we've done is we've created uh, through Wayfinders, which is our after school um, uh, tutoring program, uh, where we have about 400 senior years students linked to, to Wayf Wayfinders. 
is that we've created a, a, a program and a partnership with the University of Winnipeg and with New Media Manitoba um, where learners come after school um, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Tuesdays is sort of where they engage in uh, dual credits from the University of Winnipeg. And so we're, there's two. And this semester, it's Intro to Computers. Um, next semester, it's Intro to Programming. Um, and then uh, on you know Wednesday is a bit of a lab night. And then Thursday night, um, we have industry folks who come in and work on sort of game development and projects uh, related to that. And so students are leaving that, leaving with a couple dual credits, but also with sort of an idea of um, what's out there in terms of new media and, and how might I express myself um, in all sorts of ways beyond just coding. Mm -hmm. um, I think in, in Seven Oaks, we, we're really focusing on opportunities where it's not, I'm just learning how to code in a particular language, but I can be involved in technology because I'm a graphic artist. I can be involved in technology because I'm a musician. I can make video games because I love telling stories and I'm hyper creative. I can find someone who can code or I, I can find somebody who's, who knows Unity inside and out or uh, Unreal or whatever that might be, um, where we just want, we want all sorts of learners to be able to say, and it's not just about game development, but they're creating experiences. Right? We use Unity, we use game engines to create all sorts of experiences where it's not just a video game, but it might be um, you know, uh, an opportunity for somebody to, to dive into your world and see the world as you see it. So um, I, that's, that's the hope between the two campuses where, where we can really sort of provide all, you know, equitable opportunities for all of our learners in Seven Oaks. So they see the interconnectedness of the, the whole industry. I mean, it's not just somebody sitting in their basement. Yeah, or like the, there's you know, a whole bunch of coders sitting in at a tech company writing code all day. Is, is, that, is that what we want for our kids? You know, some kids might really like that, but I think, um, I think you know, creating, you know, programming has become so much more than that. Yeah. I think one of the things that we also want in Seven Oaks is not that all of our students understand or are, are apps brilliant coders or developers or anything like that. But what we're saying to kids is you better understand a little bit about code. You better understand a little bit about uh, game engines. You better understand a little bit about AI, virtual reality, uh, augmented reality, because you're going to be at a table one day uh, talking about this, no matter where you're working, whether you're in the trades, whether you're in healthcare, whether you're in, um, you know, the arts, whatever it might be, you need to have some sort of understanding of, of, of these platforms and of these languages. Um, I just wonder if, you know, some of the listeners that we have would be interested in um, the kinds of technologies you use. You've mentioned several, but what are, what are the big things that are carrying the division through and when they have to resort to online learning? Yeah, so... Um, that's a good question. I think, I think, you know, what we've tried to say to, to schools and to school teams is we don't over, we don't want to overwhelm families and kids with a whole bunch of different platforms. Uh, can you imagine being in a senior school where you might have four or five classes and you're using teams and then classroom and then Edmodo, uh, you're going to say to heck with this. Um, or maybe, you know, Brightspace, or if you're doing a dual, dual credit, you've got a million passwords. Um, and can you imagine the parents? I mean, as a parent myself, 
you know, I don't want to get a seesaw message saying, please go to the Google Classroom to find the Teams link. Um, that would drive me crazy. <laughs> and we've had experiences where parents, I know throughout the city and the world, uh, had that experience. So what we've tried to say to, you know, in Seven Oaks, we don't tell people what to do. Uh, we allow people, you know, to, to really sort of um, develop their expertise and they have a, and, and, and to, to say to them, you've got a responsibility to develop uh, deep, rich, educative experiences for your kids. And how can we support you? Uh, having said that, we, we, we have uh, provided folks with, with the Google Suite to use, um, the Microsoft Suite uh, 365. Um, and then for our early years, we have um, uh, had accounts or developed accounts for, for our learners to use Seesaw. Um, and that, and, and we said, so that's it. Uh, these are the tools that we're providing um, because we don't want to overwhelm, overwhelm parents. Um, so in terms of learning management systems, that's what, that's what we use. And we've really asked teams of teachers and schools to sort of say, can you choose one? so that we're not overwhelming people. Understanding that after that, there are all sorts of magical tools that you can use to engage kids, to poll kids, to provide feedback uh, for kids, you know, for kids, let's say with Flipgrid, to be able to, to provide some uh, exit slips or whatever that might be. There's, all, there's a million things that we can use, but at, but at the end of the day, um, we really want to, to keep things simple. And I'll give you a really powerful example of this is that uh, one, of the, one of the schools in our division, a middle year school, um, they're going to use uh, Google Meets because the link is right in Google Classroom. The kids have all made digital portfolios. And for, for, parent, for, the, for family meetings coming up, the child is going to walk the family and the teacher through their digital portfolio portfolio outlining not what did you do this term but what did I learn mm -hmm. and here are the artifacts that I'm going to actually walk you through and I'm going to talk about this almost like a mini exhibition in a way and what a we're not talking about technology here but technology is helping to support that authentic demonstration of knowledge and of learning and I think uh, and there's some and there's some skill development in there around curation uh, around public speaking, around uh, creating an argument, and technology then supports that. It's not technology leading it, but it's just, hey, this is what we're this is what we're using. Um, and and I understand there's there's all sorts of issues with Google and Microsoft, and these are large corporations, and and there are data issues, and are they mining things? And I don't th we're not going to get away from that at at this point. But I think I think what what I think is, is powerful is that um, this demonstration of a learner being able to say, this is what I've done in spite of COVID uh, and, uh, I, and I'm going to walk you through this and, and to their family, this is the platform that we've been using and I can show you all my work and I'm accountable for it and, my, and I'm, I'm collaborating with my friends. So no matter what the platform is, uh, that, that foundation of, uh, of sort of authentic uh, and deep design is there, and then that's supported by that LMS. Yeah, and it's, it's neat that they get to talk about what they're actually learning, um, you know, what they're getting out of it, kind of the student-led conferencing idea that, I don't know if it's still around, but it was the thing when I was... Yeah. Was <laughs> well, it, it, it gets us out of, and, and, and this is partly what happens even with adults, you know, is we'll say, what did you do today? You know, you know, I'll tell you to my partner, what did you do today? 
as opposed to, you know, what did you experience today? Um, or ask, you know, just asking different questions. If you ask, you know, if I ask my child, what did you do today? She'll tell me, well, I went for a walk. I did this. I did this. Um, as opposed to tell me what you learned or tell me what you struggled with today. Man, are those ever different, different questions that are now going to generate a deeper conversation about what it means to be human. Yeah, certainly. All right. Uh, we've taken a bunch of your time and we really appreciate it. Um, but to, to wrap up, we, uh, we'd like to ask you if we've got something, some, something for our listeners to ponder after uh, they've listened to the podcast. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll rob from, from folks like Dylan William and, and uh, other cognitive scientists. Um, but my, my question for, for me, at least as, as a teacher, so whether I'm teaching at the, the university or, or whether I'm, I'm teaching in a classroom or whether I'm coaching um, the, the athletes that I coach, is, is the, the question that I come up with is, did I cause learning? Today, did I actually cause learning? And how do I know that I did? Um, I would say is, and that's, I think that's especially important during COVID. Um, and, and part of it is, what my caution to other educators and colleagues is, um, that if we're going to ask that question, it means that we have to, to give ourselves a little bit of a break um, and to, to really keep it simple uh, in, during COVID. So less is more. Can you focus on bigger questions, deeper concepts, um, deeper uh, concepts where where there is a relational um, kind of organism around that that is that is breaking that concept apart, where we're not pushing content, where we're not trying to do the same things with kids in five and three quarter hours, um, but to sort of back off and say what's really important here, and did I was I actually the causation of learning here, and that might have been you know through a combination of asynchronous, synchronous, face-to-face. Um, but that's something that I ask myself every, every class that I end at the university is, did I cause learning? And sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I did. Mm-hmm. And I got to rethink that. And I, and I got to come back the next time and ask people, hey, I think I really, I, last class, I think I, I kind of bummed this out. And, they, and my, my learners will say, yeah, no, man, that, that stunk. And then to be able to sort of say, okay, um, how do I reshift? So that's where I would leave, leave people with those two questions. Uh, today, did I cause learning? And how do I know? Those are excellent questions because we all need to be more reflective on what we do. And if COVID does that, then it's a bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. And that, well, I guess the last question is, um, like, how am I doing? You know, just in general as, a, as, as an educator, but as a person, how am I doing today? Where's my energy level at? What do I need in order to sort of fill me up again? Where's my community? Yeah, more so now than ever. Absolutely. Great. Well, thanks again, Matt. We appreciate uh, you taking your time. Love talking to you and listening to the kinds of things that are inspiring you and helping you inspire the people in your division. No, this is a bit thanks very much. Nice seeing you guys again, both, and uh, uh, anytime. Maybe we'll do another podcast about the deep learning stuff. That'd be good. I yeah. love that. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And thanks to the Manitoba Association for Computing Educators, Manace, for sponsoring these podcasts. And thanks, too, to Tofu Stravinsky for the soundtrack. See you next time.